Welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Menezes, and you are listening to The Art of Change, an educational podcast devoted to understanding how change happens at individual, systems, and organizational levels. This podcast has been developed by the Office of Community Engagement at McMaster University. If you are a student listening to this podcast as part of the Art of Change course, welcome to week nine. This episode is part two of a two-part organizational change series. Building on our conversation from part one with Dr. Emil Joseph, we will explore questions in this episode like, what roles do goal setting and metrics play in creating organizational change? And how are conversations across disciplines and across faculties implicated in organizational change processes? McMaster University will continue to be our focus for this episode as we investigate the administrative and policy side of changes to EDI at McMaster. We will begin by speaking with Dr. Arig Elsheba about the role of the Equity and Inclusion Office at McMaster and the importance of institutional goal setting in driving change. We will also speak with Maymarie Duaisoa from Human Resources about McMaster's Employment Equity Census and the importance of compiling metrics when advocating for organizational changes. As we begin, Arig tells us more about the work of the Equity and Inclusion Office at McMaster and the importance of the EDI strategy and action plan. My name is Arig Alsheba. I'm the Associate Vice President, Equity and Inclusion. It's the first uh, iteration of this role, so often hear it being referred to as the inaugural AVP Equity and Inclusion. I started in this role in April of 2018, so almost three, three and a half years now. I'm also um, an adjunct faculty member with the Department of uh, Sociology, and I have the pleasure also uh, being one of the instructors for the Arts and Science program. As Emil shared in part one of this series, the creation of McMaster's Equity and Inclusion Office and the hiring of Arig as AVP Equity and Inclusion came out of recommendations from groups such as PACBIC, who noted that there were gaps in some of the work that was being done by McMaster's former Office of Human Rights and Equity Services. By 2016, this office was restructured and assumed the new name of McMaster's Equity and Inclusion Office. Our office has a number of portfolios, and with the introduction of my role, really that was the institution saying that we wanted a, a senior leader to help us champion, if you want to call it pan-institutional EDI goals and priorities. Number one, to identify what are those goals and priorities, and then work with other senior leaders and, and really the campus at, at large in moving these goals and priorities forward. And then, of course, there's two additional aspects to the office, which the, the first one is this proactive awareness raising, education, and support to promote human rights, accessibility, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism. And also the part of the office that involves responding to complaints and concerns that may relate to harassment, discrimination, and sexual violence. So we have this kind of proactive and reactive mandate for building capacity and competencies for the institution, and then a, a broader kind of systemic mandate. 
Prior to working in the Equity and Inclusion Office at McMaster, Arik completed a life science degree and began working in the nonprofit sector, where she developed a consciousness for equity issues, focusing on community work with sexual violence shelters, shelters for women and children who are unhoused, and centers to support incarcerated folks, for example. Then, after pursuing graduate work, Arik came to McMaster. I first started in the advancement office, right, alumni relations and fundraising, but I, I couldn't unlearn what I learned in community. So I brought always now to my work, my professional work, this EDI lens, and I had this commitment to just make sure that I was looking at all policies and programs and practices with that EDI lens and, and contributing in that way. Eventually, I moved from advancement to student affairs, and then from, from there, I shifted into taking on roles that were focused solely on EDI. That wasn't really a thing like 10 years ago, but in the last five to 10 years, more universities have now recognized that you need someone who can bring that expertise with both scholarship, but also professional practice around EDI. After being hired as McMaster's first AVP Equity and Inclusion, Arik was tasked with creating and implementing a McMaster-wide EDI strategy and action plan. Bringing EDI into to higher education is about change, right? You're taking an institutional state, moving it from one set of outcomes to another set of outcomes. So with any kind of change in an organization or an institution, you really need a strategy, right? It's best, best business practice. So I knew when I took on this role that one of the first things I wanted to do, and again, another best practice, is to think about a strategy. And, and strategy, really, if you want to break it down, means being particularly um, thoughtful, using data to inform our uh, decision-making and practices really understanding what goals we're trying to achieve and being quite systematic about how we get there. So the first step was really to get out there and, and start to talk to different communities and particularly communities who are most marginalized, most impacted by inequities, right? So understanding from various communities, how do they experience accessibility, equity, and, and inclusion? Where do we think the barriers are, what have been the challenges, what might be the opportunities, what ideas are out there, what if we tried previously and didn't work, why or why not, right? So there's kind of a situation analysis or a strength, weakness, opportunities, threats analysis. I, I did that when I got on board pretty quickly after I arrived and, and it was a really beneficial and informative consultation process, pretty broad. And in that process, I was able to pull out a number of, of themes and then and use what I know from the literature in terms of best practices to propose a framework. So we have a four-pillar framework, a strategic framework that talks about the fact that we need to address EDI across the entire university ecosystem, thinking about institutional capacity, thinking about academic content and context, thinking about individual capabilities as well as our, our community compositions. And then came the task of an action plan, which is the roadmap. We decided on a three-year time horizon 
between 2019 to 2022, what were our broad objectives and the particular strategic actions that we would focus on? And so we have six broad objectives and across all six objectives, we had about 57 priorities that we've been working towards. Most of those priorities, you call them deliverables or outputs. And what we want to get to is eventually being able to have measures so that we can, we can um, track our progress on outcomes. All right. So there's a difference between an output and an outcome. Developing a policy is a, is an output or a deliverable, like a faculty recruitment and retention policy. That's one of the deliverables that we've created that we're quite proud of, but then implementing that process and seeing actually more effective processes, that's an output or seeing a greater diversity of applicant pool. That's an output. Right, so we're identifying those quantitative, qualitative uh, metrics now that we need to be tracking in the long run so that we're moving from just a set of like a grocery list of deliverables to really seeing the, the, the change in behavior in the culture. The four pillars, six objectives, and 57 priorities that Arig mentioned are all part of McMaster's EDI strategy, which was launched by the Equity and Inclusion Office in 2019. Although the strategy came out of a one-year-long consultation process, an important part of Arig's work was recognizing that many individuals and groups had already been advancing EDI work at McMaster for decades. PACBIC, for example, had been conducting work around inclusion at McMaster since 2002. People get a little bit exhausted talking about their uh, experiences and, and the challenges and, and what hasn't works. So maintaining that kind of hope and I think transparency and, and honesty and being grounded in really appreciating what the challenges have been was really important. I will say too, that maybe you've heard this saying, hope is not a plan. Well, you, you know, we, we need to be hopeful. You have to give people reason to hope. So demonstrating the, the evidence, the data, the rigor, the accountability metrics that we're going to use to have people be hopeful. It's not fair to ask people to hope without some concrete initiatives or reasons to have that hope. In addition to giving people a reason to hope, Arig has had to communicate clearly and compassionately across different groups. You know, you will come across and engage with minoritized individuals, those who've been, ex who've experienced inequities, who may have more fluency in, in EDI as compared to people who haven't experienced inequities are much less fluent. And so what I encountered was I had to really break down even what does diversity mean? What does inclusion mean? What does equity mean? Right? So de defining these terms and concepts, meeting people where they're at and talking to a diversity of folks that really, they're on a continuum with respect to understanding what we mean by social justice and, and equity. So being able to manage my message so that it resonates with and engages and excites and mobilizes a real diversity of people was, I mean, maybe that's a challenge, but that's just part of doing this work. After the EDI strategy was released in 2019, engagement across the university continued. We had a really great level of engagement in 2019, and a lot of people put their hands up to a lot of students, faculty, and staff 
volunteered, came forward, have been part of the implementation teams. The senior administration have been all sort of on board. So there was a, a good level of receptivity to moving things forward. And we've got the governance processes in place to, to keep us moving forward. And then, of course, 2020 and the murder of George Floyd and then the death of Joyce Eshaquan and a number of, of other events that we could point to that were similar in those communities that the particular communities have been very attuned to. But these events just gained a, a wider audience. And I think in part because of the egregiousness of the events and because of the profile that the events got in terms of the, the activism that was brought not only through social media, but it, it ended up in kind of, if you will, mainstream media. So, so attention on, on these issues really created this sort of global movement that included universities, right? So people in universities were part of these movements and were called on by these movements that we are important spaces to think about these challenges and to contribute to solutions, to also walk the talk on our campuses. So I really did see that um, what ended up happening was, was a greater sense of imperative and urgency. So where we had some items in the action plan that we were already committed to, what we may have seen is more people jumping on board to support those or expediting some of those that were planned for later, like in the third year, they got expedited to the second year. We had more allies speaking out now too, right? So not only the voices of marginalized folks, the bystanders who typically are supportive, but maybe are of a silent majority were speaking more too. So now you had a cross group voice and movement which actually is so important when you get allies on board and when you think of any movement making some transformative change, allies are, are just so important because they're, they're the ones that can speak to peers about change, right? They're potentially setting the context for cultural change within their communities. So we, we were able to, to really expedite that movement of commitment to action. A lot of people wanted to come out and make a statement but they also didn't want that statement to remain symbolic, right? I also heard people say, look, how do we actually action this? And there was a lot more humility that I saw. In this work, you find a lot of folks who want to make change, want to do something, but they're so afraid of making a mistake, they end up not doing anything. So here, what I saw was, and I would speak to colleagues and say, look, you can't go wrong if you say, I condemn this. We want to do something. We want to do better. We haven't done enough. We don't know how to do this, but we're going to learn and we're going to collaborate and we're going to monitor and we're just going to continue to improve, right? To acknowledge that you don't know all the answers now, but you're willing to make yourselves vulnerable and to have the humility to say that and work with minoritized groups and populations to make the change. Reflecting on the changes that have occurred at McMaster since the EDI strategy was released in 2019 and reinforced as urgent in 2020, Arig has seen the importance of collaboration between university leadership and grassroots groups. Transparency, collaboration, cooperation, 
between administrative and institutionalized bodies with communities and more grassroots organizing efforts is really quite important. I have seen that progress has been stalled where those two bodies operate in isolation, like islands. When you can bring them together into this Venn diagram, that space of interface between what may seem like really groups that have different agendas or intentions or ways of operating, that's the place that actually there's a name for it. Someone at the scholar had talked about the ethical space of engagement is where that work can really get done to, to make some progress. It's important these coalitions and solidarities are also important across minoritized groups. We're very diverse. And so we shouldn't be spending time and, you know, hear this commentary of um, oppression Olympics. Well, I think it's important to recognize that there are different barriers and there are unique and distinct ways that different communities experience inequities. And, and we need to pay homage to that and actually respond accordingly. So it's not about equal treatment for all communities. It's, it's recognizing and being nuanced but also elevating each other and working with and, and for each other. And, and then at the same time, trying to find ways to cooperate, collaborate with the administrative structures, because that's where the decision-making, the, the resourcing, the investment is going to made if we, we, we can get to the table. Arig is now seeing EDI principles and practices being integrated into all senior executive portfolios at McMaster. Recently, the pillar of inclusive excellence was also integrated into policies like the teaching and learning strategy and the advancement strategy. But taking a step back to look beyond words in a policy document, what does this kind of organizational change practically look like on the ground? I'm seeing that more people are talking about EDI, more leaders are investing in EDI, so there's a creation of EDI committees. There is actually hiring coordinators, associate deans, chairs that will be responsible for EDI work and that will network with me, the center. There's much more interest in training. So we're getting a lot more training requests. The strategies, the teaching and learning strategy has a key pillar is inclusive excellence. The advancement strategy has that as well now. So these are just a, a few of the examples of the ways that, that we're seeing. It's being talked about more. It's being engaged more meaningfully. But I, I do have to say, I mean, we still have a, a, a long way to go. When we launched the, the Black Faculty Cohort Hiring Initiative, as well as announce the scholarships for Indigenous and, and Black students, for instance. We got some questions, a little bit of pushback, but we didn't get a, a lot. I remember working in this space five, six years ago at a previous university where there was quite a lot of pushback from alumni, from students. So I think there is a, a shift at McMaster, in part because of the, the EDI strategy helps, but I think what's happening across the sector and what's happening societally is actually helping as well. Ensuring that this shift in EDI at McMaster is not simply a one-time thing means that all university decisions must adopt an EDI lens. In our strategy, we talk about leadership, governance, and accountability. And I took that from, from a real, an article that I had read written about 10 years ago, but that really, um, 
resonated with me in appreciating that we need to think about EDI in terms of good leadership, good governance, and, and accountability. So if we're committed to that and this kind of rigorous, con continuous improvement, being strategic, data-informed, investing in people who have expertise in this space, not thinking that people are going to, you know, do this off the sides of their desks. This isn't something that's going to go away. Um, starting to really not have it be an add-on, but integrated in everything that we do is, is important. So if you have a senior leadership that not only believes this and, and, and values this, but the more diverse we have our leadership team, you're actually going to have people that embody <laughs> these values and the opportunity for keeping these values front and center and integrated in the institution's vision is, will be really important. And of course, some um, people always say, you know, funding is so important, right? Is thinking about how are we actually thinking about EDI in terms of our business decisions, our financial decisions, right? Where our investments are being made. When it comes to business decisions and discussions about hiring, McMaster's Human Resources Department plays an important role. In the next few minutes, we'll be speaking with Maymarie Duaisoa, who is part of the organizational development team at Human Resources, and focuses specifically on employment equity. Maymarie works closely with colleagues like Arig in the Equity and Inclusion Office because employment equity fits within one of the main pillars of the EDI strategy ensuring community and compositional diversity at McMaster. My name is May Marie Isoa, and I've been with McMaster as the Employment Equity Specialist for a little over four years, really um, working to advance the Employment Equity Frameworks. McMaster's Employment Equity Framework is a set of policies intended to ensure that the university is conducting equitable hiring, recruitment, and retention processes. After conducting work related to equity at the city of Hamilton, Maymarie began working at McMaster in 2017, when the university had just finished conducting the first employment equity census. I joined in 2017, and my role was to take the census results and try to use that working in collaboration with the Employment Equity Working Group at the time and other equity-seeking groups such as PACPIC, and McMaster Accessibility Council, Indigenous Education Council, to really develop an employment equity framework uh, for the institution. So we were able to put together the report and work with the uh, working group to develop what is now our employment equity framework, which really focuses on building an inclusive community. On an average day, Mamory's work ranges from advising and consulting to training staff to advocating for equity-seeking groups on campus. A large portion of this work also focuses on conducting the annual McMaster Employment Equity Census. We in Human Resources, we need to understand what our composition of diversity is, and then we're working with managers and faculties and deans to say, there's a gap here in representation, and you don't have as much representation from these groups. How can we support you with a recruitment strategy? to make sure that we are addressing these gaps in representation, that there's internal mobility of individuals within your team so they're growing. Because recruitment is not just when we're bringing in. 
how are we also advancing and promoting people from equity security groups within the institution? So there's work to be done there as well. How are we supporting professional development so that people are able to acquire skills and competencies to be able to grow into higher roles? So again, that's a human resources function. And um, what I have enjoyed working in human resources is really looking at inclusive and compassionate leadership strategies. And that's really the core of what we're doing now. The McMaster Employment Equity Census is the main strategy that human resources uses to understand the compositional diversity of McMaster employees and was one of the first initiatives that groups like ACFAM and PACPIC began collectively advocating for at McMaster. Open to all McMaster employees, the census is voluntary and currently focuses on six questions. Initially, we had six questions that focused on self-ID, and the focus was initially, again, the equity second groups focusing on, are you Indigenous, are you racialized, are you uh, female-identified, are you a person with a disability, and then LGBTQ trans. So those were the six questions that we've been doing. So the purpose is very clear. The information would help us to come up with strategic goals and initiatives to actually address forms of discrimination or unconscious bias or any gaps that exist. And we've been very intentional about doing that. Lots of initiatives that have come out have been as a result of knowing what that information is. So there's a lot of learning and awareness that needs to continue to happen for people to understand that there's tremendous confidentiality with their information, that it is actually beneficial to complete the census, and that there is an intentional effort here to want to do things that are positive to want to build an inclusive community, to want to ensure that we are reducing gaps in representation. But it helps to have the data because then you can tell someone, this is what things look like. We can look at it as, okay, our leadership group, we don't have enough diversity and we need to address this. We can look to say, okay, we don't have enough Black faculty. We want to advance Black scholarships, so let's hire up to 18 Black faculty through a cohort hiring initiative. Without data, you can't always build a case. So this helps us build a justifiable case. It helps us uh, target resources and allocate resources adequately to come up with initiatives that can be supported to advance the work. Currently, Mamory is working to expand the employment equity census beyond six questions to further disaggregate the data and get a better idea of the intersectional needs that exist across the university. Although conducting the census is an important part of her current work, when May Marie joined McMaster in 2017, her primary role was to share the results of the census. So in 2017, when I came, it was just being able to even get through the census, being able to actually put it out so folks could see, because it's one thing to think that we are diverse and we're not, and it's another to actually see the numbers, right? So it was just really getting that census out and then updating the implement equity policy because I think then that helps to guide our work. And then training and awareness. There was a lot of that. And sometimes having the opportunity to go in front of some folks to just talk about this. I'll say largely the institution was ready. A lot of areas were receptive. 
and wanted to have these conversations and wanted to do things to really begin to address equity. But that's not always the case for everyone. So the focus was being able to get into spaces, being able to just getting to build trust, getting to cultivate collaboration, getting to understand the landscape. We had lots of meetings going to various departments just to say, we're doing this, we need your support, and we need to do training for people to understand what equity, diversity, and inclusion meant, what employment equity meant, and what they could do with the census, how to develop employment equity action plans. And then there was the recruitment piece. So we came up with pilots training for equitable recruitment, unconscious bias training. So there was a lot of just foundation laying happening at that time. And now we've evolved to uh, operationalizing things, to rolling out initiatives and implementing those initiatives. So we're now at a different stage where we're still doing a lot of training, but now instead of saying, okay, please just let me come in and do this training. It's now that, okay, this is the training, figured it out. There's an uptake. We have consistency where folks can register for it on our website. And they take it consistently. People have come up with initiatives. We have EDI committees across various faculties and departments at the institution now. We have uh, employee resource groups that have been established. So we are at a different level now where we implemented programs, for example, such as the Employment Equity Facilitator Program, um, which is focused on having individuals. We have about 215 now that have been trained across all faculties of various departments who sit on search committees to support those search committees to bring an EDI lens to the search process. So again, developing that program, which really focused on allyship, looking for individuals who wanted to be allies in this process, go through this training because I can't be everywhere at the same time. At first I was everywhere in place. It's hard to find me in my office. So the work evolves. I think the work is going to continue to grow based on the information we get in the census, based on new initiatives that areas are coming up with. And that's the beauty of this where once a lot of awareness has occurred, a lot of training has occurred, it allows individuals to come up with their own initiatives that is specific to their functions, to their departments, to their roles. And that is how you build sustainable change because then folks are able to customize solutions that work for their areas. Examples of sustainable change include some of the initiatives that Emil and Arig have already mentioned, including the launch of the Black Indigenous and Racialized Employee Resource Group, the creation of the Black Faculty Cohort Hiring Program, and of McMaster's Black Student Success Center the hiring of a senior advisor for anti-racism and EDI in student affairs, the advancement of McMaster's Indigenous strategy, and the launch of scholarships for Indigenous and Black students. Other changes that May Marie has seen include the creation of the Equity Advocate Program in the Faculty of Health Sciences, the launch of an applicant diversity survey, and of the Student Census and Experience Survey. 
Additional programs include the EDI Committee within University Technology Services and the university-wide mandate that EDI training be a part of all hiring processes. Each of these initiatives has been the result of sustained advocacy over many years by individuals and groups across McMaster. Naturally, change is slow, but it's also sometimes subjective, right? It's how we all can interpret things. We have this thing where we say we'll celebrate small wins and continue to aim for blue sky and want to achieve the big goals while also celebrating those quick wins and those smaller goals, right? So I think change occurs. It does take time. It's a journey that requires a long-term commitment and resilience because trust me, Anybody who's done this work, any type of EDI work anywhere, even when you have the best supports, is not a walk in the park because you're dealing with human emotions, you're dealing with circumstances and lived experiences that vary, you know, so you carry that with you, but you're also very mindful of those realities where you could do all of these things, but it doesn't mean that somebody who's in a precarious contract role, that's going to change overnight. So I still carry some of that with me. So I can see we're having these great successes, but then it might not be a quick enough success for somebody who's thinking about their contract ending or for somebody who's negotiating uh, an increase or somebody who has been in one role a couple of years and they want change, they want to grow, right? So there's still those realities that we continue to navigate while still doing the big work. So I think... When I really think about our journey and as we continue on that journey, I will say it's twofold. We continue to celebrate uh, the small wins while we work towards the, the big goals. And will I say that we're there? No, <laughs> we're getting there. But I will say that we've been fortunate to have commitments where it's no longer, you know, when you're doing EDA work for a lot of times, it's mostly a bottom-up approach where equity-seeking groups and individuals from equity-seeking groups are saying, this is a problem, fix it, fix it. This is how you can do it. And it's not always the result that you want, so it doesn't go at the pace you want. But then there are times when for it to really work, and that's why I think it's to some extent working for us, is because we've now looked at it as a bottom-up, and top-down approach. We require the same level of commitment and proactivism from the top that's required from those that are also impacted so we can really attack this as a shared responsibility and a collective ownership of the goals that we want to achieve. So I think if we continue to do that, then we know that we all have a responsibility to achieve um, inclusive excellence and we have a commitment to EDI at the institution. And then there are times when, if you really think, even over the last 18 months, things that have happened in a typical time would have taken a long time to happen. When I think about what happened during the Black Lives Matter 2020 protest and a lot of the initiatives that went out for the various EDI awards and scholarships and things that were targeted to specific students, all of those happened that summer of 2020. The initiatives for even the Blackboard hire, those are things that might have taken years at institutions, but the response was really swift because we've made a case that this is critical. We need to pay attention. 
when we had the athletics and recreation incident where the report came out, where it said we needed to hire someone, a senior advisor for anti-racism and EDI in student affairs. When those recommendations came out of that report, there was a swift response. We, the hiring was quick. We now have a black student success center. When a student exec came to me two years ago, three years ago now, and they wanted training for student leaders. We organized unconscious bias training. We had certificates provided and we trained student leaders on inclusive leadership. So I, I want to say sometimes based on the need, based on the proactivism and based on the environment in that moment, change occurs. So I think the same applies to EDI work. And the same approach is what we've taken when we went from saying, we highly encourage you to take this training. So now we're saying that you have to take this as a required training. So change happens quickly and slowly, but being willing to stay the course and being committed to it, I think is where the difference lies in what sustains and what falls off over time. We have one minute left, which means it's time for a recap. In part two of this two-part organizational change series, we learned about changes to EDI policies and action plans at McMaster University. We spoke with Dr. Arig El-Sheba about the role of the Equity and Inclusion Office and the importance of McMaster's EDI strategy and action plan as accountability metrics. We also spoke with Maymarie Duaisoa from Human Resources about McMaster's employment equity strategy and census, and the importance of understanding McMaster's compositional diversity in order to advance organizational change related to EDI. Join us next week for episode 10 of this series, where we will learn more about some of the work being done by students in the Art of Change course. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art of Change. For more information about this podcast or the Art of Change course, please visit community.mcmaster.ca.